podcast this week. Red is the colour. Well, it always is for me, but I promise to keep the mention of Jurgen Norbert Klopp and my beloved LFC to a minimum as we interview Rosalie Jiang and Sandra Oh, stars of the new Pixar movie Turning Red. And then we have a natter with Sean Baker, writer and director of Red Rocket. All that and more on the movie podcast that is currently... 4,768th in the queue to get tickets to see Four Town. <laughs> Don't fancy your chances, to be honest. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Emperor Podcast, which this week, for COVID-related reasons, yes, is still out and about, despite what certain prime ministers might have you believe. We're recording this virtually over Squadcast and not in the grey, depressing pod booth. But that means that my three colleagues of such lethal cunning this week haven't had too far to walk, so... Every cloud. Every cloud. And this week, those colleagues are great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. Hello, Christopher. Hello, James. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Excellent. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. We're also joined by Notorious Serial Killer and, as of last week, my son, Ben <laughs> Travis. Hi, Dad. How's it going? My boy. My boy. I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my child. That was last week, Chris. Paul Dana was last week. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Have you killed anyone this week? Uh, not yet. There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> Whichever one of you wrongs me, I'll be there. <laughs> this is why we're recording the podcast remotely, not because of COVID-related issues, because of Ben-related issues. And, uh, and last but not least, finally making her full debut on the Emperor podcast after a couple of appearances off the bench, it's Hannah Flint. Welcome. Hello. Good to be here, guys. I like that I'm reporting in... Well, Ben, are you reporting in from Arkham Prison? Is this why we're actually doing it virtually? <laughs> yeah, Arkham I, Asylum, you're like that. <laughs> yeah, and I Who's cannot that tell you... Barry? <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you who's uh, in the next room to me, because uh, there are reasons that I can't tell you that. I can't tell <laughs> oh, you who's no. in the room next to me! I thought this podcast was going differently! Sorry. Chris's riddling has been off the chain this week. <laughs> we did a Batman spoiler special that was, well, like Which three I and a half yet. hours. Yeah. Most of it sounds like that. If you're wondering what, <laughs> what the spoiler special was like. I thought that. you were about to break into Ave Maria there. And I was it's my new favourite thing. I love it. I, lo I love a bit of riddling, I have to say. But uh, but uh, listen, welcome. Hannah, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm great. I, um, I It was bring your child to work day, so... <laughs> you have you have Ben in your pocket. Yeah, the little Grogu. I've got, I've got Grogu on my chest, so I'm feeling good, feeling happy. It feels like on theme though, because uh, I assume we're going to talk something Star Wars later. So yeah, we'll I don't know what you're talking about. Might come up. We <laughs> might do. We might do. Uh, ben, have you worn a gig T-shirt, or what are you doing? Yes, I'm wearing my sweatshirt with all the amazing sci-fi ladies on. So we have Rachel from Blade Runner. We have Rachel! Trinity. We have Furiosa. We have have Ripley, we have Sarah Connor, we have De Borg, we have Princess Leia, and Lilu. All on the same sweatshirt. This is what a feminist looks like. This is, yes. Get used to it, world. The faces of all the people he's killed on one Mrs. Brown's boys, De Borg. Uh, I'm wearing a Ghostbusters t-shirt, but it's uh, it's an Only Soul t-shirt in the style of Red Bull. Uh, Jimbo, um, I'm wearing a green sweater. I don't know what yeah. to tell you. <laughs> I, I'm I'm always I'm always uh, nervous about asking this question. But what are you wearing? What am I wearing? Well, Chris, underneath. Who are you wearing? Uh, Who are you wearing? <laughs> I am literally just wearing a green, slightly cable knit sweater. Frankly, because it's cold. 
Your traditional mm. Slytherin house colours. Yes, yes, there is that. There and is your that. your poor arthritis, it doesn't flares up this time of year, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the old varicose veins that really, well, really begin you know. to throb. <laughs> Anywho, let's get on with the show now, and let's have a good old listener question. Uh, this may be the quickest we've ever gotten to the listener question. Hannah, you should be on the show more often. <laughs> and uh, so we have uh, a couple to choose from. Fast, so. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I was going to say, start as you mean to go on, but that's, that's a completely different podcast. Well, Amon did warn me that you guys were quite dirty, so I thought, well, I think I felt my people. Yeah, but certainly so. not in the Christina Aguilera sense. We're not All right, dirty. Just click, dirty just with click one explicit R. content yeah. when you upload the podcast, and then I think we're covered. <laughs> and that ship has sailed. But we, we, do, we do double entendres on the Empire podcast, and that was very much a single entendre, I'm pretty sure. But anyway, uh, it's all good. All right, so, BFFC. BFFC. <laughs> What rating is this now? <laughs> it's, it's always an eighteen. The Empire Podcast is always an eighteen for Just for swearing, me. for swearing and bodily fluids and mild uh, peril, <laughs> mild peril, and Ben. And uh, that's pretty much it. Right, so we have a couple of questions to choose from. I thought it'd be nice if I just, um, if we chose right now, we chose in show and we had a poll. Not that sort of poll, Hannah. Keep your filthy mind off, off, uh, off that. My favourite um, poll. <laughs> oh my God. Sorry, I will stop. <laughs> What's, what, what, is, what, what have you done to this on. podcast? Oh God, I bring this, I, you know what, everywhere I go, I lower the tone. Apologies. Are you like this with Amon? Poor, sweet, innocent <laughs> Amon. Poor Amon. I mean, have you ever seen that man blush? Because I have. <laughs> It's really? Surprising. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wow. tune in and you can hear it. And uh, yeah, bless his, bless You can his hear soul. someone blush. You can hear it. You can feel it. You can feel it beaming through into your ears. And then suddenly you like get this sensation. It's like, oh, wait, am I blushing too? Yes, that is my superpower. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> my entry into the MCU. <laughs> I will not do anything with the word entry. Uh, I will move on. <laughs> I didn't even mean to do that one. <laughs> I know, I know. But it's a thing. You have to be very careful around me. Uh, my ears are attuned to innuendo. Uh, so we have a couple of questions to choose from. One is from Stion Bavan Curry on Twitter, who asked, what films that have only one sequel, using Young Guns and Cocoon as weird examples, but I'll take it, <laughs> would you like to see a third movie made? And the other question comes from Tres Amigos Pod. And they asked, seeing the massive success of the Batman, what actor or actress would you like to see portraying Robin in the sequel? Which one would you want? Do you want the Robin question or the one that might take some research? <laughs> I see, the, the Robin question feels like a misnomer. I feel like our Bats is too young to have a ward. Like he still, he looks, he will forever look like Edward Cullen to me. I can't, I can't see him. Like, say that because, like it's a bad thing. Though. No, but like his whole <laughs> eyeshadow moping around the Batcave listening to kind of Evanescence, like, I just don't see that being parental in any shape or form. So It would be too much, you're not my dad energy for one film to have that <laughs> from Robert and the, from the original Batman. film. Like he, mm. We literally had the you are not my dad. I just, thing, so. I just finished reading Batman Dark Victory. And it made me think, like, what if we got, like, the Dick Grayson in that is, like, super young. And I was thinking, what about, like, Noah Jupe? Like, he would be a very... Good, kind of like he's seventeen now. You could get him proper young. Is he's he young? Make him really young. He's seventeen. He's not seventeen. Uh, is well, he? if Wikipedia is to be believed, uh, yeah, apparently seventeen. And I think like that's enough of an age gap between him and our Pats that it could be convincing. And he's quite juvenile, and you get that in that comic book. So like maybe that could. 
work? I feel like we've already decided that this is the question. <laughs> I, I think so. I think so. I think the other one, we just have to do a lot of research. We'd have to go on boxofficemojo.com. And I mean, I, I already have an answer to that question. It's like the first one comes out, National Treasure 3, when, where Nick Cage is ready. <laughs> That's a good I'm, one. I'm on board with that. Mm. That is a good one. Anytime he wants to do it. They're doing a National Treasure TV show. Uh, it doesn't count. But he's not, not with in him. it. I don't want it. He's not, yeah, he's not in it. Which is weird because he's in everything else. I know. So like, <laughs> how was he? Here's here's my here's my suggestion for Robin, uh, and I think that's a very good good call on Noah Tube. It, it's astonishing that he's seventeen. Uh, I must admit, I don't really keep up. I'm not a casting director, so I don't keep up with the the youth in Hollywood. And I don't I don't really have my finger on the pulse of who's who's young and good. You know, a good actor in, in the biz. Uh, so I'm going to go for Nick Cage. I think Nick Cage. <laughs> would be a tremendous Robin. Go the other way. No one has ever done this before. No one's had a Robin who is significantly older than Batman. Nick <laughs> and Cage I think comes back in time. <laughs> Nick Cage. That's, it's the only way to go. Robin. Holy rusted metal Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know why he talks like that, but, but there you go. That's my, that's my suggestion. Do you reckon they'd smooth him out like they have in that sequence from the new trailer for the unbearable weight of massive talent? They've they've done yeah. the they've done the they've given him the glow up filter they've de- smoothed him out younged him down uh, in a way that <laughs> young, is quite <laughs> young that's how language down. works isn't it? <laughs> um, my shout I have two thoughts for this one of which can't blame uh, yourself Ben as, can't as blame Han- yourself <laughs> damn it uh, as Hannah said yeah I think you'd have to go like like mid to late teenager for it to work with this mm. uh, RPATS. so one of my suggestions would be Jacob Tremblay. Who I feel like he is ready for that like next. How old he, is he, he had now? his like kid he's performances. <laughs> <laughs> he had his kid performances. Now he's like ready for the next like Jacob Tremblay role. I feel like that is something. Uh, and I feel like for Robin, you need somebody who's kind of like wiry, but who could like you could be believably like flipping around, but also kick the shit out of someone. So he needs to be like wiry but tough. I feel like Jacob Tremblay could be that person. The other person who springs to mind for me, um, mm-hmm. if you go down potentially the colorblind casting route, as they did with bits of the casting in the Batman, Gregory Diaz the Fourth, who was Sonny in In the Heights, and he was also in Vampires versus the Bronx, again, is mm-hmm. like a wiry teenager with a lot of energy who I think would like work really nicely uh, alongside emo bats. If you've got emo bats, I feel like you need a slightly like moderately hyperactive Robin uh, to, right. to pose some challenge to Batman's lethargic energy. So they, they would be my picks. Gregory Diaz, the fourth. He's so good in, in the Heights and in mm. vampires versus the Bronx. He's like super charming and he's already a sequel. So that might be some sort of meta commentary. <laughs> exactly. On this. Exactly. Okay. All right. That's interesting. What about Gregory Diaz the third or the second, or do you not care about them? Are they too nah, old? Nah. Too, too old. old. <laughs> too old. Their to time the has been and gone. <laughs> Jimbo, have you said anyone for this? Mm, see, I don't know. Do you need a teenager or do you just need someone who plays a teenager? Because I would go with maybe Asa Butterfield, because I think if you're going to have mopey, sulky Batman, you should have slightly arch and sneery Robin. And I think, you know, playing using his sort of Otis template from sex education, that could be quite entertaining to me. What, giving Batman sex tips that he yes, learned from his yes, mum? Exa- I mean, totally. The nipples would be back on the bat suit, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Do we think that uh, our Pat as Batman has ever, uh, has ever done it? No. 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 <laughs> no. Man's never got laid. <laughs> I just think, I, I like, no, but I don't mind that. Like, I think that's why I quite 
enjoyed about his version of it, kind of completely pulled back from that Christian Bale kind of like, yeah, look at me with all my models and all that. I like the idea that he's basically been celibate. Like he is an incel. (laughs) (laughs) They're both incels, aren't they? They've both got big incel energy. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, that's why I recognize, I see you, you're like a mirror to me. That's like, so, um, so yeah, I, I that's why I didn't, I don't think it's as sexy as people kind of make out it to be. I, I, I didn't get, I didn't get sexiness from the Batman. I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, I was too busy struggling to see what was happening. (laughs) I know. Chris, I said to my, I saw it twice. I was like, could they just like turn the exposure up just a little bit? Just a little bit. (laughs) Just a little bit. When I saw it for the second time, uh, a couple came in. Okay, two, two, so two weird audience things happened. Uh, during the Batman, so a there were a couple behind me who, and I tell you what, I cannot wait. I cannot wait for the DVD of this film to come out because apparently the couple behind me were recording a commentary, and I cannot wait to hear it in full. So they were just talking all the way through until halfway through the film, the guy just got up and leaves. He just he just left. He didn't come back. What the hell's going on there? And then half an hour from the end of the film, another couple comes into the cinema and starts trying to find their seat and they bring their you know, little iPhone torch and they start shining it on the screen and I could see stuff. <laughs> At that point you went, oh my God, yeah. there's the Batman. I see him. <laughs> there's the Batman. I was like, tilt, tilt it up a bit, up a bit, up a bit. Good. We're good. See, that's the thing. Instead of 3D glasses, what you need is those glasses every time you watch a DC film so you can actually see what the hell's going what, on. Like night vision. Just, yeah, night vision, basically. There night you go. Vision. Brand it. <laughs> Nightwing, Nightwings. <laughs> so, you, so you can see the nipples and the sculpted buttocks. Yeah, because I remember I said to Arpat, so I was like, where's, where's the nipples? He's like, oh, they're there. I was like, okay, so I need the extra <laughs> glasses. And I was like, yeah, I mean, they're, 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 they're where my nipples are, but they're just, they're just <laughs> under just the costume. <laughs> yeah. Wait for the uh, X-rated director's cut. <laughs> well, that costume, that version of the Batsuit looks like it would chafe. Like you'd have to be wearing some serious like pads or protection or something under there. He must be. Right. He must be red. Do you think it's like thing. Ross in Friends where he wears leather trousers and he's like, <laughs> I can't get it off, and he's like in the bathroom like, ah. <laughs> you make a very good point. He takes that fucking suit off very, very quickly, on and off, a number of times, and stashes yeah. it when he's on his bike. I'm saying that's not that difficult. Mm, I have a latex <laughs> dress, and actually, they gave me like for reasons. <laughs> She was like, please, oh, please continue. I have a latex dress, and I remember when they when they gave when they gave it to me. It's a Sukokuda one. They were like, yeah, so maybe use some like baby oil to get in and out. And I said to God, you have to do that. <laughs> really? You have yeah. to lube yourself like, up um, to get into clothing. Well, that seems like, a lot it's, of work because it's obviously a not very movable fabric. So when it's really skin tight, you're like, Ugh. I mean, going to the toilet, guys, was a nightmare. Not gonna lie, I've worn it very <laughs> sporadically <laughs> over the years. So I, I sorry I've got I've got to I've got to drill down into this. Who who gave you a latex dress and why? So, uh, in years in the years gone by in my showbiz journalism days, there was a piece yeah. where like someone was like, "Hey, Kim Kardashian wears latex dresses. Can a normal person wear wear one?" I was like, "I'll be your normal person." <laughs> so I went to the same designer that um that that made her one, and I got it. And guys worn it, yeah, quite. I wore it to BAFTAs one year. So there we go. Really. Just look deep into my Instagram and you'll find it. <laughs> there it I wore, is. I wore it to vote. I wore it on my birthday as well. I wore, I wear it on special occasions, you know, birthday, BAFTAs, okay. to vote. Because <laughs> it fell on the <laughs> same <just> day. 
I'm, I'm here to vote very slowly because I can't move my arms. Yeah, my body, my choice in the voting booth. So there we go. And, you know, not to not to get into uh, too delicate areas, but upon taking it off, have you ever done that, you know, that thing that Ross does where the, the water and the powder combine to make a paste? No, and then I it just all that, goes horribly wrong. I'm not going to lie, it's been a bit, bit sweaty. <laughs> it's like, oh, it comes off easier. When you go to a nightclub in it and you're like, oh, great, sweat, and that eases it out. So, you know, just go to, go, just do exert yourself in your latex, guys. And maybe that's why Batman can get out of it because he's so sweaty yes. underneath. There we go. He's quite active. Is that why he walks so slowly in this film? Because he 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 does the fighting when he needs to fight, but also he just walks very slowly into scenes and around scenes. I don't know if you saw Kim Kardashian at a Balenciaga show wearing this ridiculous outfit, did. but she's walking like. <laughs> ah, ah. I mean, like there we go. I feel like the answers are all there. You just need to look. <laughs> Maybe Kim Kardashian should be Robin. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I'm. I'm just. I'm hung up on this idea of someone older than <laughs> playing Robin. Um, we could. We could. We could absolutely have a woman playing Robin because Jenna Malone was cast. What if Robin she? played Robin? The same. Oh, that would be amazing. She's almost got the hair. She's got like a slightly more bowl version of the yeah. hair from uh, who's the Robin in uh, Dark Knight Returns. She's got that sort of uh, Larue haircut, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robin's almost there, as in Swedish pop singer Robin. She's almost yes. got that hair. What about an actor called Robin? They've never gone down that route of nominative determinism, not least because I can't fucking say it, but have they Have they ever considered that? Robin Wright, for example, could be a good Robin. Yeah. Going down my Robin Tunney. <gasps> what Ooh. about Robin Robin from Ardman's Robin Robin? <laughs> the adorable stop motion Christmas shorts. Yes. Yeah, Robin who thinks it's a mouse. Yeah. Who thinks it's oh. a crime fighter. Oh my god. Yes. That'd be amazing. What if it was just an actual bird Robin? <laughs> Which is <laughs> flying around. Friend, just on his shoulder. <laughs> Alfred, this is my little friend Robin. He's gonna come crime fighting crime with me now. Okay, I'm he's, he's gone. Because <laughs> he says justice now, because it's vengeance is out. We don't yeah, like vengeance anymore. Yeah, vengeance is old. Justice is in and in, in entirely skin tight latex. Uh, all right. I think we have answered this question to nobody's satisfaction, but uh, nevertheless, we shall move on. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire podcast, as Los Tres Amigos, Tres Amigos Pod uh, found to their cost, you can get in touch with me via a number of methods. Twitter is the only game in town, so you can either slide into my DMs, uh, baby oil uh, notwithstanding, and uh, or you can reply to any of my tweets or wait for a panicked shout-out every now and again, as in fact happened yesterday. Right, should we have a guest? Um, who should we have? Let's have guests. Let's have two guests. Let's have Rosalie Chang and Sandra Oh, who are the stars of the wonderful new Pixar movie. Turning Red, which is about a young Chinese-Canadian girl called May, who finds when she turns 13, not only does puberty set in, but so does an ancient uh, familial affliction, which turns her into a giant red panda whenever she gets all aggravated. Uh, And so Rosalie Chang voices May, and her mother is voiced by the wonderful Sandra Oh, star of Killing Eve. Ben spoke to them both on Zoom. Just the other week, wasn't it, Ben? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. In fact, uh, it was just after the Big Mad Storms, uh, because we referenced that early on in the interview. They had come into London at the time that the entire country was being blown off the face of the earth. So, Not good, not good. But uh, hopefully the interview is better than the storms. Here we go. It is Ben talking to Rosalie Chang and Sandra Oh. Do please enjoy. 
I'm thrilled to be joined on the Empire podcast by Sandra Oh and Rosalie Chang, uh, who lend their voices to Pixar's incredible new movie, Turning Red. How are you guys both doing? Oh, oh doing great. Yeah. Yeah. We're really excited to launch the film. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it, the film is brilliant. I've seen it twice now. I loved it so much. Oh. I went back and watched it again. It's such a blast. Uh, where, where are you guys at the moment? You have a big Pixar background behind you, but you guys are together. Uh, where, where are you at, at the moment? Yes, we're London now. London, yeah. Yes, London, we're amazing. Yes, we're going to have the, the the premiere here in London, and then we will have a premiere in uh, Los Angeles and then yes. in Toronto. Yes. Toronto, yeah. Fantastic. So what have you been up to in London so far? You've been here through insanely stormy weather if you've been here the last couple of days. Well, well, well for me, I landed like two seconds ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're here just kind of for the, the this press time and then we'll mm-hmm. probably move on. Yeah, I came, uh, I flew to Europe a few days before. Um, we landed, I landed in Paris first to explore a little bit, meet some um, old friends. And then uh, I came to London two days ago. Amazing. Yeah, two days ago. Uh, well, well, Sandra, I believe you know London well. You've been here for a long time well. shooting, killing Eve and all of that. So uh, yeah, if you, need a, if you need a guide around the best parts of London, I'm sure Sandra can be that guide. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but but Rosalie, this is this is your first film, <laughs> and that is incredible. Uh, what a film to be a part of, and a, and a Pixar film. How did you become part of this project? I mean, my my agent just sent me the audition, just the regular audition. There wasn't. I don't really think much of it because I get mm. million. I get a bunch of auditions all the time. I but... love that you get millions of it. <laughs> I want to think that you get millions. <laughs> yeah, let's just say millions. Um, and then. I got a call back. I'm like, oh, great. And I I didn't realize it was the actual Pixar campus, the Pixar animation studios. I walk in, the gates open. It's like angels start singing. It is amazing up there. It, was, it is amazing up there at Pixar. Whatever you think Pixar um, studios looks like, it's exactly how you'd envision it. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my yeah. dreams to go there one day. What, what were you? Did you grow up a big Pixar fan? What was the thing you were most freaked out about getting to see and be there in the uh, in the Pixar offices? Oh, I mean, huge Pixar fan. My dad, um, my dad introduced me to all the Pixar films when I was younger and see it just to see what what goes on behind the magic for mm-hmm. this film. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Pixar, Pixar really is magical. Um, but yeah, I I went into the Pixar campus. Um, they made me sign contracts, of course. And then they, I met Domi there. I met um a lot of the behind the scenes people at the callback. Domi Shi, who's our director. Domi Shi, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, I did the callback and it was an interesting thing because I feel like um, Domi gave me this one critique and she said, say the line like you drink 10 Red Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> after I said the line, I could just see everything kind of clicked. Ah, uh, nice. Every, it was just like, good hmm. direction. That was, yeah. I think <laughs> everyone was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was good. And then a few days later, I get an email saying, oh, you booked it for Scratch. And Scratch recording means that um, movie's still going through production, um, still hasn't gotten to production. They're still figuring out the plot, the characters, the design. 
I mean, the story is so different from um, when I first started um, on this project when I was 12. And oh, I was yeah, it's, I think it's an amazing experience that you actually get a young talent who is actually the exact age of mm-hmm. the character yeah. going through that time from 12 to 16 for Rosalie. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, Sandra, because you've done plenty of voice work over the years, uh, especially thinking recently, uh, Invincible, what an incredible show. Uh, Can't wait for season two. Uh, And and obviously Raya and the Last Dragon last year as well. So what was it like for you working with Rosalie, who's so fresh to this, uh, while having a lot of experience yourself in how to not just bring a character to life, but a, a voice performance to life? One, I love animation for all the reasons that you think. It's really fun to do. Um, and it, it's also a completely different skill set. And I really like exercising that skill set. You know, unfortunately, you know, Rosalie and I just met, like, starting when we're doing the press, because when right. you do animation, you're recording it separately. And obviously, through the pandemic, it was even more separate. So, Right now, we're having our bonding and our connecting experience during yeah. this during this time of launching the film, which has yeah. been great. But your question about the animation, it's like, uh, I love it. I, I love doing animation. I think Rosalie has really grown to love it as well. It's just a great opportunity as an actor to be able to really stretch in different skills and being able to, you know, you get to play, you know, in animation, you get to play crazy things too. <laughs> too. Um, so it's it's a joy to do. And so, so I wanted to ask you both, uh, Rosalie, how much did you relate to Mei Lin as a character? She is the central character of Turning Red, a, a teenage girl or soon to be teenage girl uh, who, when she gets overexcited, turns into a giant red panda. Uh, how much did you relate to that character? And, and Sandra, how did you relate to the role uh, of Ming, of Mei Lin's mother, but also yourself to Mei Lin? Have you been that person at that point? Mm. Um, I mean, I definitely related to May for sure. Um, the second I received uh, my first script for her, it's like, because I, I kind of, I feel like I'm kind of confident. I'm ambitious. I'm a little dorky. Um, and I think, I mean, I was 12, 13 when I um, started uh, recording for her. And she just hit so close to home. The relationship she has, her friends, her mother, mm-hmm. um, her father, her family, just um, and her kind of experiencing these new changes and trying to deal with this. And like, I mean, I literally went through puberty with this film. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, I hated it. I I um, thought it was awkward. I, I, I wish it would stop. But... <laughs> And I mean, May, she with uh, the panda, she she hates it at first. She's like, I she's like, I feel like a freak. I want this to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't do anything about it because I mean, change is inevitable. Puberty is inevitable. And I think um, um, empathizing with May and her experiences was definitely uh, something I did. Mm-hmm. Very well, I think. I, I You know, your question, which is like, how I relate to Ming and how I relate to May. I'll start with the latter one. Sure. I feel like I relate to May because I don't think that I gave up my panda. Mm-hmm. I actually feel like I made my career out of it. Um, and so for Ming, for me, the way that I related to her is just, it's just loving, loving your child so much, you know, and and how sometimes one's own fear and hypervigilance 
can kind of clamp down on the freedom of a child. So I think, you know, the best way to, to kind of come into contact with that is just, you know, understanding what it is to love. Yeah. The the film is very firmly set in 2002, and uh-huh. I was about May's age in 2002. <laughs> uh, but Rosalie, you probably weren't alive in 2002. What was your 2002 research? And and Sandra, what was it like for you traveling back to, to 2002? And what were the things in the film that took you back to that time? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, 2002, obviously I wasn't alive, but um, this is um, Domi, this is Domi's, essentially Domi's childhood. Maybe mm-hmm. she didn't turn to a red panda exactly. <laughs> she, turned into, she turned into an animator, that's what she did. Yeah. <laughs> turned into a director. <laughs> but um, I mean, I worked very, very closely with Domi throughout these four years and her explaining um, explaining what May feels. And I can see that she has a super, super deep understanding about who May is. Mm-hmm. And um, because she is May mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way. And I think that obviously I can't tell you what 2002 was like for me. <laughs> but- you know, for me, it was like, I, I, I lived in Toronto, uh, actually in the 90s mm. and so all, basically what they drew this this backdrop the skyline so personal and so fantastic for me to be a part of i really remember that and then you're talking about their early aughts their early 2000s i think i don't know whether i guess this happens when one matures it doesn't feel that long ago yeah it was 20 years ago so i think that's where i am with it I it doesn't feel it. that long ago and then i see the tamagotchis and the checkerboard yes. vans and i'm like ah that was yeah, that but was isn't my that childhood isn't that all it's back? All back. I'm sure it's all this back is what now. happens. You, yeah. you mentioned there, obviously, the film is set in Toronto. Uh, what, what did it mean for you, Sandra, that this is a specifically a, an Asian Canadian story? Mm-hmm. I have family in Toronto and I visited a couple of times. It was lovely for me to see the city presented this way in animation. What, what did that feel like for you? Oh, it's great. Oh, it, it's just so great. I mean, um, I, I, hopefully everyone will enjoy this, but I hopefully specifically Canadians will enjoy it because there's always a, a point of pride that the story, you know what I mean? The story is set in, let's say, your hometown. And then, of course, uh, uh, not only it being Canadian, that there's a deeply uh, cultural element to it, an Asian Asian Canadian experience, a Chinese Canadian experience to it that was also really so special to be a part of because here you have a story that is taking its time to um, to reveal itself and to show, you know, the push and pull that many of us have, you know, children of immigrants or, you know, Asian, uh, Asian American kids, but not only just limited to that, the push and pull that you have as a young person of loving your parents and then realizing you're coming to a time in your life where you can't lean on them the way that you did once. Sure. Uh, one of the big drivers in the film narratively is uh, May's love of a band, a boy band called Four Town. So I have to ask for both of you, who, who is your Four Town? Who were your Four Town? Who is your current Four Town? I mean, for me, I'm a huge K-pop fan. Um, so I need K-pop, 17, BTS, um, EXO. Oh, there's so many. Yeah. Uh my boy band, but they weren't boy bands. Cause honestly, when I came to age in that 13 age, 13, they weren't boy bands was Duran Duran was yeah. honestly my, it was really a Brit pop. 
that really influenced uh, my teenage years. Amazing. And and did you? But they were gorgeous. <laughs> they were gorgeous. Sorry, I question on all of them. And for, for both of you, did you get to go to those concerts? Have you fought to go to those concerts? Uh, and and who who would you want to see live? Uh, I've never been. To, I've never been to oh, a concert. Oh God, babe, mean, it's going to be so great. Okay, okay. Like I'm a really big fan of. All right, there was a group, a girl group called Twice, and they recently came to LA and um, Oakland, and I just really, really wanted to go so oh, badly because they're so expensive, and I'm here too. <laughs> so that's why it's not yeah. working. But uh, one day, one day, I will go. It'll be worth the um, wait. I, I couldn't, and and you know, for for many of people, you know, you really actually can't. You can't afford to go to a concert, especially mm-hmm, when yeah. you're a young person. That was definitely my experience. But uh, I eventually saw Duran Duran in Vegas, you know, in like 2016. <laughs> so it took me quite a long time to eventually see them. Yeah, you got there. Yeah, I got there. Yeah. I got there in the end. The, the tears and everything was that part of it. <laughs> no, I think things have changed. well thank you so much for your time it's been lovely to speak to you and and congratulations on the film it really is brilliant thank you so much thank you guys okay so that was rosie jang and sandra oh and we will be talking about turning red later on in the show but now it is time to delve deep into the week's i was gonna say movie news but the big thing that dropped it dropped last night is the trailer for a television show so perhaps i don't know james this might be best kept to the <laughs> pilot tv podcast but nevertheless we're going to talk about it on this one let's do it because it is the trailer for obi-wan hello kenobi there. <laughs> hello there. uh now that's that's a name i've not heard in a long time a long time uh and yeah this is the new disney plus show that is going to be debuting on may 25th may the 25th be with you uh, Ewan McGregor is back as Obi-Wan mm. Kenobi. And I have to say, folks, I realized for the first time last night that Obi-Wan Kenobi is an anagram of I wank bio bone. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm the one bringing the left toes down. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, after watching that trailer, the thought did cross my mind. Oh uh, my but it, it's a belter. It is a belter of a trailer. I have a question, though. I have a question. So it looked it, like, it, like I was very excited because I've, I've been very skeptical about the Obi-Wan series. But this Obi-Wan. made me very excited about it. But it's just like, I wonder how much emotional heavy lifting Jewel of the Fates was doing there. Like, if you watch it <laughs> muted, I'm saying your excitement reduces by about 80%. Like, it, oh, it's doing a lot of work there. A lot of work. That said, like, there's a lot to like about it. Because my big concern was this. It was just going to be another tedious character titting about on Tatooine for a bunch of episodes and me wanting to kill myself. And... As it happens, hey, none of those things look to be true. It looks like it's going to be interesting. It had a real Jedi Fallen Order thing, and I can say that, Chris, because it's one of the very few video games I know you've played. I have. It had that I real vibe it. to it. Obviously, it, uh, it references a lot of stuff from the animated series that we all know in and out, because <laughs> we are experts in this. Love an Inquisitor. Hannah, are you an expert on the show, on the, on the animated shows? Uh, you know what? I will not say I'm an expert, but I have watched them, and I go in and out, and I have certain people that I like. But I think I've really got into recently more of the comic books. <laughs> Some of them, so I've been uh, reading okay. those. So when Black Chrysanthemum turned up in Boba, I was like, yes, because it means it's well, one step away from Dr. Aphra. 
uh, arriving, and that's who I've been oh, waiting for. Yes. I just Love want her. I thought exactly the same. I, yeah. I was like, <laughs> when is my girl Chelly arriving? Um, but I always think it's so funny. I mean, like, I, I suppose people who don't, listeners on the show, don't know me and my background and my push for representation for Middle East and North African people. I always find it funny where in the last two series for Tatooine, which takes its name from the city Tatooine near in Tunisia, where the original film was shot. I always, Does it? Yeah, yeah. There's basically yeah. like, you know, they've still got the... They still got all the sets there and stuff like that. Anyway, I find it mm. just really funny that we've had two series back to back, and like considering how much Star Wars fundamentally borrowed from Dune, but also like borrows from like Bedouin people from these areas, it always kind of frustrates me that there are no obvious Middle Eastern or North African actors in the cast. So when I saw the trailer, I was like, okay, so we got Obi of Arabia, cool. He's got these camels. Yeah, this looks yeah looks very uh, North African, looking good, <laughs> good. I'm like. So no, <laughs> no Egyptian actors, no Tunisian actors or anything like that. I mean, I think Saf Ben Safdi, he's got mm-hmm. like, I think his dad's of Syrian heritage, but like, which is, you know, I'm not going to ignore that, but it just, it frustrates me a bit that it's so clearly this world and no, they're all dressed like Middle Eastern people wearing all the clothes. And yet there's, you know, it's like, we've got all these POCs, but no, 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 North Africans for you. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I'm always like, there's always a kind of slight um, s- sadness, like bittersweet quality to me watching Star Wars because I love it, but I just feel a like, single tear come rolls on. down the yeah. cheek. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm like Harry Potter looking out the window, like, please. I'm actually like Obi, like I said, Obi looking in that pit that's still like, but where are they? <laughs> where are the actors of Mina origin? <laughs> So, yeah. We'll be talked by June 2, casting news in a second oh. as well, so you can... <laughs> we, we could just loop that. Well, I'm unaccountably uh, delighted that Simone Kessel is going to be in this TV series because, you know, these jokes just kind of write themselves, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the laboured punchline, and I love that you even gave up before you got there. No, I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to leave it there, and everyone can do with it what they will. We see, I'm so excited for, like, all the women of colour in it. Like, is it Indira Verma? And then there's um, Moses, In- I want to say Ingram, is it? Moses Ingram, yeah. And then Simon- Simone Kessel. And like, then also mm. Maya Erskine, for a brief minute, I was like, oh God, she'd be great at Dr. Afra. But at some point out to me, the timeline of this might not work out unless they re- wreck on it. And she's just like turning up. So I quite like it. But then after watching Boba, where like Jennifer Beals <laughs> was in it and you're like, cool this is a bit of stunt casting where's this gonna go and it went nowhere it went nowhere i'm like at okay all. so yeah. what's she at what are they actually gonna be doing so i don't know it's kind of like yeah. you have to kind of like meet her like peter your kind of like enthusiasm because you just don't know how these shows are going to turn out i mean it does look at least like moses ingram is going to be the villain of the show maybe not the big bad but like the sort of most prominent villain uh, as one of the inquisitors hunting down rogue jedi in the wake of order 66 so obi-wan is still hiding out he's trying to lay low while also keeping an eye on young luke young luke we see a young luke do you think they're gonna like weirdly photoshop mark hamill's face onto a child god i hope not <laughs> and then get a robot to voice him that'd be crazy um but yeah moses ingram is is kind of really prominent in this trailer uh, as a very menacing figure who seems to be prowling around trying to uh, track down any remaining Jedi, which uh, I, I love that between... Because I think for a while we've been saying, oh, we know when this is set, but at the same time, like, what is this part of the timeline? What is the story here? And just having that extra element of like, oh, the, it, what, it's 10 years on from Revenge of the Sith, but there is still a big 
efforts uh, with the Empire rising to hunt down the remaining Jedi, anyone who survived Order 66. Uh, so you've got kind of Obi-Wan trying to be stealthy and survive, but also make sure that, that Luke stays alive and remains hidden. How- I hope he succeeds. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> we'll all be in suspense for, what, six weeks, seven weeks while this is airing? Six weeks is usually about that, right? Yeah, but uh, this trailer it looks it looks exciting and it looks dramatic and it looks. I think one of the things I don't know if other people felt this with Boba Fett is that even with all the all the creatures and the the many 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 characters who got loads and loads to do, am I right? Um, in that show, it didn't hmm. feel it felt like a slightly like plastic world. It didn't really feel that real. Whereas even just the sense you get from the shots in this trailer, it feels. It has that real Star Wars lived inness to it. Um, it feels like a very sort of populated, atmospheric kind of series, just from what we see even in this first glimpse. I wonder though, like, are they saving the very cinematic stuff for the trailer? Because again, I think when we first saw stuff from Boba, it looked quite good. I wonder. I mean, I quite like the all the like, you know, the kind of quadrophenia like mopeds oh, running around. Because I also think, like, also goes. <laughs> I think what I like about it is that. These these worlds, like people are traveling around all over the place. Someone's going to come from Coruscant and bring some of that style over. Like we shouldn't just make sure. Like if you look at what these places that it's based on, not all of them are like kept in this like very oldie period where no one's ever progressed further. You know what I mean? Like it mm. can not. It doesn't have to be this old west kind of like you know Maghrebi sort of environment. There can be modernity. <laughs> there is modernity in Tatooine. You just putting you the know. mod in modernity. I think was perhaps a little unnecessary, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> <laughs> those, those, those. That that car chase scene was very weird. It was very more Teletubbies. Yeah, than yes, the low <laughs> energy chase sequence. Yeah. Oh, oh my god, the Teletubbies, the book of Lala. I would, I would be absolutely <laughs> up for that. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah. I think was the vibe for most ben, of the name of the Teletubbies. Can you do it? Tinky Winky Dipsy La La Po. When do you think I was growing up, James? That very quickly. Right, now do the Spice Girls. <laughs> uh, what spice names or real names? Oh, I uh, love this. Both. And surnames, both. please. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, surnames. Fuck it. Mel C, Mel B. Um, was it Melanie? Was it Full Charles? Full surnames, please. Full Not surnames. No <laughs> <laughs> Uh Melanie Brown. Correct. Yes. Mel Very good. C. Oh, she's Mel- that's Mel C. Me- <laughs> <laughs> Which one's Mel Melanie B? Melanie Brown's Mel um, C. Mel C. Is it Mel? Was it Charles? No. no. She's home. She's home. Oh, I've screwed it already. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Horner, as she's now known, not Jerry Hallowell. Well done, I like that. True uh, question there. <laughs> uh, Victoria Beckham. What was she before Beckham? Oh, come on. Come I on, Beckham. Come it on. was the worst it? millennial come I've on, ever the met. The in one of the movies that we're reviewing today. <laughs> yeah. That's just made me more confused. Um, <laughs> Victoria Rocket. <laughs> yeah, Victoria <laughs> Project? Victoria Le? Victoria Adams. Victoria Adams, mm-hmm. that was it. So uh, both the males, Victoria, uh, Jerry, Baby Spice was Emma Bunton. There we go. There we oh, go. there you go. go. Fantastic. Good stuff. Well done, Ben. You win a cookie. Yay. Are, are we segueing from Spice World to the world of Spice? Is that a new segue? Not quite yet. Because I so rudely interrupted Jimbo when he was talking about the uh, the Grand Inquisitor. What was in I this, even saying? Ah, oh, the Grand Inquisitor. I mean, the Grand Inquisitor. was Rupert Friend, obviously, in this. Uh, Rupert Friend, all Inquisitor. Yeah, it's Rupert Friend. There's a part of me that can't get... I want, I, and I know I'm not a massive animated series fan, but I wanted Jason Isaacs. I know, I know, I know, but I just did. 
Uh, but Roof of Friend is great. I'm a big fan. Was he so. busy? Why, why didn't he do it? Presumably it is a different character. I mean, obviously, having seen every episode of the animated series, I know this, but I'm just <laughs> testing you to see if you know whether it's the same character. Or All Hannah knows is Black Cursant and Dr. Yeah. Affa. Yeah, that's it. Don't ask me anything else um, at all. I, I'm not complaining about Rupert Friend. He's great. So Okay. So there, there were two things about the trailer I wanted to talk about very briefly. Yes. One, we see a hint of someone's blaster not at even, certain, a certain point. And that blaster looks a lot like Han Solo's blaster. Do you think that's where we're going? I really profoundly hope not. Yeah. <laughs> no. Unless it's Alden Ehrenreich coming through, I, I can't no, no. feel bad for him. If it is, that's not what I don't want to see. Like, let's really? not bring Solo oh, into this no. shit. Do you want to no. see G.I. Han? No, I don't want any Han okay, at all. Good. I want to hold the Han, just absolutely none. None at all. No Han. No, absolutely not. But also, it makes no fucking sense. He can't be like, <laughs> you have to come to George Lucas to come and wreck on Star Wars. Like, oh, it's you. And they do a little Spider-Man point at each other when they meet in the cantina. No, yeah. just no. The other thing I wanted to talk about was Darth Vader. So we hear him breathing at the end, but they didn't show him. Uh, maybe they're, maybe they, they don't want us to see what he looks like in case he looks radically different. Oh God, I haven't heard the heavy breathing at the end. Maybe I was just heavy breathing myself while watching that trailer <laughs> so I didn't hear it in the background. But oh, that's that's yeah. very exciting. This is why many people were wanking Biobone at the end of the, uh, <laughs> at, the at the end of the trailer because the things that it promises. That's what they used the noise of it, didn't they? It's like it's yeah. not even Hayden. It's like someone in a booth <laughs> knocking just, one out. It's <laughs> just someone having a good old go in the Biobone. Uh, anyway. I was going to say, I have one last thought about the blaster. Okay. Whereabouts in the timeline at this point is Lando Calrissian? Because is this actually Lando's blaster and is this the return of Donald Glover as Lando? Just just throwing that out there as a possibility. It would seem... I, I, would he, why would he have the blaster? He has a very similar know. blaster. It's like a little little pistol thing with a, with a little scope on it. So I would love Lando, though. We need more Lando. We need more, like, you know, horniness. <laughs> Well, we're, we're supposed to be getting I don't that think Lando more horniness. I don't think that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all taken care of. Uh, I don't know. It would be interesting uh, to see who it might well be, because if it's Han Solo, he can't meet Obi-Wan, and for obvious reasons. Uh, but what do we make of Ewan real quick in this? Because he, you know, he, he two things about Ewan in this. He doesn't seem to be doing the voice anymore. He just seems to be Ewan <laughs> with, a, with an English accent. But he doesn't seem to be doing the Alec Guinness impression, mm. which I thought was interesting. And they haven't grayed him up as much as I thought they were going to. This isn't too long before we meet him. You know, it's still a number of years, but it's not too long before we, we meet him in, in the original Star Wars so clearly some bad shit happens to that dude between now and then. Maybe this show is set over the course of a week and it's like the most stressful week in his life and he starts <laughs> off looking like we see him in this trailer and by the end yeah. he's fully white-haired, guinness up. Yeah, Snow White. I think he looks very fit, though. Uh, my thirsting yeah. has been, you know, sated. I like it. I want to see more of it. Well, maybe, yeah. like, it's, you know, when you see, like, presidents <laughs> at the start of their term it's like they look great obama he looked great and useful and then eight years later it's like and then, yeah. i am on death ravaged, <laughs> ravaged ravaged by life ravaged by uh ben looking after little luke <laughs> oh ben not that ben a different ben but uh but yeah whenever i started this podcast i was so young so full of health and vitality and now look at me i'm a shadow of what i used to be so maybe that's what happens to him he just does a podcast and then <laughs> if you do a podcast for long enough you will look like alec guinness that's basically what happens <laughs> what else has he got to do on tatooine he like checks in on young luke like once a day and then he's just sitting in his little cave just yeah he wank biobone must be terrible uh <laughs> terrible acoustics in his little cave house though Oh, little cave house. Uh, but I'm excited about it. May 25th. 
Uh, hopefully this one will deliver the goods. Um, it's debatable whether the Book of Boba Fett did. So let's see what happens with this one. Uh, anyway, what else is happening? Oh, I mentioned it, didn't I? That Florence Pugh is joining Dune. the cast of Dune 2. Here we go. Let him go. Here Pugh. he goes. There he goes. <laughs> Dune 2! Dune 2! Dune! Yes. It's exciting. Isn't it is it? exciting. T- what's, what's happening? Well, it, it is. there is a negotiation going on whether Florence Pugh might end up playing uh, Princess Irulan, daughter of the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV. You were uh, right about one thing, Master. The negotiations were short. short. Well, they may or may not be short, but we'll see. It's interesting. I think they'll beef that role up a little bit because it's a little bit like, like she frames the narrative, uh, which we obviously we don't get in this one, where she does a lot of the, um, you know, the pre-chapter things, often things from Princess Irulan talking to the reader. But I don't know. Like I would like to see more of her than you get in the book. I would like to see her a slightly greater involvement in the final acts of this story because Florence Pugh is fucking great. But you do need someone who feels formidable and I think she has that. So, I, yeah, I'm on board with this bit of casting, actually. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'd also be on board to have uh, Shifty Barry as Faye Browther <laughs> if that actually happens. Because I think, I think he's, he'd be a perfect foil to old Chalamet. I, I don't know if that is rumoured. I just threw that out on the Empire WhatsApp group this week because... Uh, no, it has been a thing. Has it, it, has been, okay. it has been kicked around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he's, hasn't he, he's also mentioned something on social media about Dune at one point. Let's imagine that, but I don't think I am. He, he was seen by an adult nappies. That's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so people put two and two together. I feel like I want to see Barry kind of break out of this. Like... Is but he his okay? name, his name is Shifty Barry. But like, like, he, I've seen this thing. It's like every time you look at it, every character, there's always a question of like, "Is this guy okay?" And the answer is mostly no. I want him to be like happy. Like, I want him to like be he joyful. Could be he happy could... as a Harkonnen. They're having a good time. <laughs> yeah, they enjoy that shit. Maniacal happiness. I like. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like happy as a Harkonnen is James's constant status. <laughs> Harking about Yeah, that's it in my, in my oil bath With my anti-grav harness That's how you get into your latex clothing Indeed. You, just, you just oil yourself up in one of those things Balsamic yeah. A balsamic bath yeah. Oh, a lovely bit of balsamic bath That'd be, that'd be delicious uh, So Shifty Barry in an adult nappy uh, Fighting Timmy Two Meats That'd yeah, be With Florence Pugh nice. spectating Yeah, so Florence Pugh That's the Virginia Madsen character, isn't it? In the David Lynch Dune I wish they'd gone with like, some Persian actors. <laughs> I think that would have been sick because, I mean, the word Well, it wouldn't make Persian. sense for Princess Irulan because she's from the core world. She's not from, uh, she's not from Arrakis. Right, but Padishah is Farsi for, like, it's like a whole emperor and the whole thing is based on, like, Persian law. So the idea that they're not from these places and, I don't know, I feel like they can maybe shift things out a bit to make sure there's actually some representation for the peoples whose heritage massively informed the entire story. Anyway, I'll be very interested to see how many uh, Middle Eastern North African actors might actually get cast in in the second one for the Fremens, if unless they well, there'll be a lot more Fremen in this one, obviously, because we're going to go back to sure, Sitch Tabra. Sure, That's the like, next stop. So, so we'll see far, where we go. It's been a very specific type of uh, person who gets to cast it. It will be intriguing because they obviously did the first part as its own production, and then obviously we're in this gap in the middle. They haven't gone into production yet on part two, and that has been part of the conversation since the first film came out. They will have had time to maybe address some of that in the casting for part two so it'll be intriguing to see if they actually do that because there will have been time there there has been time while that conversation has been happening uh, for, for them to maybe kind of address some of those things and hopefully they'll get a better vocal coach who can teach people how to pronounce Arabic words <laughs> that are very much fundamental to their whole oh, language okay. <laughs> very interesting to hear them say the Mahdi <laughs> which word? Mahdi it's like you hear it's like Mahdi it's Mahati 
like some uh, of the words okay. that are used, like he's Mahati. That's how they pronounce it. But anyway, sorry, I'm See, getting like I'm, I'm learning I'm stuff. I'm trying to I'm like hold stuff. back because I know I can go into this, and I know like, it, it, a lot of people don't agree with me on those type of things. But I think there's some things if you're going to use Arabic language as an influence, maybe learn how to pronounce the words. If Denise listened to this, and Denise and Ilnuf obviously listened to this podcast honestly, religiously. I would love them to. I would honestly, right. this is the thing. It's like, I'd love to actually have conversations with a lot of the filmmakers about kind of like that casting and understand like where they're coming from a bit. Like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I would love to speak to him about Black Adam and see how he like quantifies casting himself as a Middle Eastern superhero and then surrounding himself with Middle Eastern actors because it's a Middle Eastern story, but not being Middle Eastern himself. I'm very interested in like that because I don't think people are consciously trying to like exclude people. I don't think anyone's trying to do it, especially like someone like The Rock in these places. But I feel like surely <laughs> there's obviously not enough people around him who could maybe speak up for people who are kind of getting erased. If you are going to ask Dwayne Johnson that question, you'll get your chance maybe October? in October. Yeah. <laughs> In October, I was just looking up to see when Black Adam has been pushed back because there was a number of Warner Brothers release date changes again quite late last night. I don't think they announced this on the Disney investors call. Uh, this was uh, something else. So Black Adam has gone back. It was meant to be out in July. It is now out in October of this year. Uh, we have a Shazam Fury of the Gods. That's been moved up to December of this year. And The Flash and Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom have been pushed back. Uh, into next year. So The Flash is now going to be out next summer on June 23rd and Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom is now going to be out next March. Uh, and Wonka got moved back to around about Christmas of next year as well. So a lot of stuff moving around. I wonder if Shazam 2 Fury of the Gods is also going to be a Christmas movie. Now it's coming out in December because Shazam, the first one, is one of those, oh yeah, this is a Christmas movie. There's Christmas lights everywhere. There's snowy Philadelphia. Um, and that's been brought forward six months. That's a pretty significant uh, pull forward. I'm really intrigued to see what David Sandberg does with that because I actually I really like the first Shazam. I think it's tons of fun. I think that one gets forgotten unfairly among the uh, highlights, uh, the, 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 the few highlights of the DCEU so far. Yeah. I like that it's bright. You can see it. You can see things. You don't yeah. have to turn the. <laughs> you don't. You don't have to shine a torch on the on the screen. It's all good. It looks so naff. I love it. It's like Aquaman. I love that movie. It's just like when she's eating a rose. It's so ridiculous. Uh, I just want more brightness and cabness from DC. I feel like that's what it's slightly missing. I mean, do we need all the greenness? Like we've been having the greenness since like Batman first arrived in what the eighties. That was the gritty version. <laughs> And the the big water fight, this Christmas water fight between Avatar two and Aquaman two, has now been uh, been broken up because yeah, Aquaman is March next year. Avatar still holding strong for December. It feels like, I I, I mean, I cannot <laughs> imagine anyone going up against Avatar two How against many James Cameron. Are they making five, four more, four more, four more? <gasps> Avatar two, three, four, and five. Maybe he's like, but didn't like James Cameron was like, I want to make my movies 10 hours long. So maybe we're just going to get, it's all of, it's all a tease, but actually just going to get this next release. It's just going to be a 10 hours of Avatar. It's just going to finish mid sentence. So <laughs> yeah. You, you know, it's just one long story broken into four different parts. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm yeah, excited to see some of these movies. Uh, all of the movies, obviously, every day is Christmas Eve. Just a couple of last things. 
Christopher Abbott, who is a fantastic, very intense, it can be very scary actor. Uh, he's going to be playing the bad guy in Craven the Hunter. And you might say, but Chris, isn't Craven the Hunter the bad guy? So he's playing uh, Spider-Man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, he's going to be playing the foreigner. He wants to know what love is. Wait, I thought Alessandro Nivola just got announced as the bad guy in Craven the Hunter. Did he? I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of, uh, I presume there's lots of bad guys in Craven the Hunter. There's, there's Craven. Chameleon, He's there's the Calypso. <laughs> Craven is the good bad guy. He is, uh, I, I believe, an anti-hero. Uh, so he is going to be the foreigner who is a mercenary and assassin. I didn't know the Alessandro Nivolo thing. Is that, is that? I saw it the other day, unless, you know, Twitter's lying to me and that has been proven correct on occasion. <laughs> No, I think there has been various bits of news for this. As you would say, Chris, there is spunk everywhere this week with all this news mm, flying is. around. Alessandro Novola will be the villain in Craven the Hunter, says <laughs> one website. Then another website says it's going to be Christopher Abbott. Maybe something happened in the five days between one <laughs> announcement and another announcement. Maybe it's a possessor situation and Chris Abbott will be playing the role in the body <laughs> of Thingy Nivola. There we go. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. If you haven't seen Possessor, by the way, uh, it is a truly fucked up film. Uh, check it out. And he is tremendous in it. Yeah. So whoever's in Craven the Hunter, we wish them all the best. Aaron Taylor Johnson is going to be uh, Mr. Craven, who is a hunter. Ariana DeBose is in that as well. She is. They're stacking that she cast is. with good people. I good hope people. for the best for all of them. Again, <laughs> may the odds be ever in your favour. Mm. <laughs> uh, any other bits of movie news you wanted to talk about real quick? Only TV news from me, obviously, because I'm oh, ever on brand. But uh, Joe Barton's Gotham PD series, unfortunately, yeah. met an untimely end, which was really sad because I was very excited to see that one. Uh, and instead, we got announced that we were going to get a Colin Farrell Penguin spin-off series from mm. Batman. So that's an interesting one. Um, yeah, HBO Max series, The Penguin which will start, frankly, anyone as the Penguin, because you can't fucking tell it's Colin Farrell, so it might as well be me. <laughs> I really pour one out for all the character actors who were overlooked for this role. I didn't have, wouldn't have to spend four hours in a makeup truck. Genuinely, and this is no disrespect to Colin Farrell, who I think is a fantastic actor, but, I mean, why the fuck? Just why? Yeah. And also, I think, just on a grander point, again, me for my, for my representation hat on, but, like, there are so many, like, people who don't have to wear fat suits who can play a character like that. And you kind of, like, think... Why are we still in this day and age using fatness as a costume? Like, you know, again, Stellan Skarsgård's Dune, Jan Leto in House of Gucci, Sarah Paulson, Impeachment of American Crime Story. Kind Her of name feels was like Sarah Paulson. <laughs> Sarah Paulson. <laughs> Sorry. I can't resist. Every time I hear Sarah Paulson's name, I have to do that. But you just... No matter how serious a point being made, I have to do that. I'm sorry. I like it. It's like a nervous tick. Like, like I just got to say it. Her name was Sarah Paulson. <laughs> but yeah, you just kind of think that there's all these actors out there and like pretty hot guys like Colin pretty much have their pick of roles. And just because now we're finally getting more nuanced, complex characters that are fat bastard, <laughs> that now they want to take <laughs> them and we're using prosthetics as a loophole to exclude, <laughs> once again, like exclude people. Um, and I think Callum Farrow is great. Like he's great in it. But would I have liked to have seen a Paul Giamatti, the Penguin? 100%. Hey, hey, Paul Giamatti's lost a lot of weight recently, uh, which is, uh, he's pretty unrecognisable on Billions uh, <laughs> these days. But uh, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's like, and with, with yeah, Farrell's great. He might be my favourite thing about the Batman, yeah. but it is by, why? <laughs> why did you cast him? No, let's fellas! <laughs> hey! Hey! 
Hey, what's up, sweetheart? Um, but you also have the issue of he's not very penguiny, is he? No. Well, this is so, the thing that this I I kind of wonder how will they you know because I I you look at the Suicide Squad, Birds of Prey, like Aquaman and Shazam. There's all like this fantastical element, like they've got superpowered beings, and then you just have the Batman. It's like let's just take all that out of the equation. So who do you introduce? You can't have Poison mm. Ivy <laughs> coming up next to it because like. It's too grounded for that. Like, where's the kind of count yeah. big, big elements of it? And I find that's what's so frustrating. Like, let comic book movies be comic books. Like, you don't have to make them gritty, realistic, you know, things where, like, no one has anything, uh, you know, above that. Because obviously Batman, you know, what is his power? He's Unless- rich. <laughs> Well, yeah, but unless the penguin is a way into that world, and maybe this show might, because he is, he's connected to the the Gotham criminal underworld. Maybe he will bring in some of those more fantastical. As long elements. as he slaps someone in the face of a fish, that's fine. <laughs> I need like that. I need something like just like going like something like that. That'd be honestly, that's all I need. That's all you need. There you go. Hannah, Hannah is available as an advisor for for both Dune two, but also the penguin, but specifically. Fish slapping. I'm here for mean representation. I'm here uh-huh. for like body positivity representation, and I'm here mm-hmm. for fish representation. So find me. There you go. Find my details. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and another another TV thing, Jimbo, is Peacemakers finally coming? Isn't oh it? Oh my god! Yes, yeah, suddenly, and it's next week as well. They don't fuck about. What is it as- next week? Well, I week suppose, I'm next. thinking. Come- well, I'm thinking this is pilot that goes out on Monday. This just goes out on Friday. So yes, it is week after next for you. It'd be week after. It'd be next week for me when I record pilot. Or, or, yes. or more simply, March twenty second for everybody. Yeah, or, or simply March twenty second. <laughs> yes, it is finally coming and it's dropping very very soon. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited. It feels like we've waited a very very long time for that, and that's mainly because we've waited a very very long time for that. And it's also really annoying when everyone's like in the US is tweeting about yeah, it. Yeah, everyone's like, guys. and the memes and the, it's like, oh fuck off, you smug twats. Um, <laughs> But it was, it's just a really odd one because, I mean, it wasn't... I mean, it's coming to Skymax. I think we kind of always assumed it would come. But there was no announcement, not only of when it was coming, but where it was coming. We didn't know it was coming to Sky because it can be a bit odd because Sky obviously get the HBO stuff, but HBO Max is slightly different. They don't necessarily have dibs on the HBO Max. So they have to... They might have some kind of reviews on the deal, but they don't get them by default. So it could have turned up fucking anywhere. Like Station 11 turned up on Stars Play. Um, but so it is coming mm. to Sky. It is coming week after next. And that is good news. All eight episodes at once as well. Yeah. I'm so excited to meet Eagly again. It's like the Baby Yoda situation where we had to sit through months of Baby Yoda <laughs> memes and then we finally got to meet Baby Yoda when we got Disney Plus, uh, what, like six months after everyone else got it or after America got it at least. And I've been seeing Eagly memes. I've seen the opening sequence of Peacemaker many times. I've seen everyone on TikTok recreating the dance. <laughs> so maybe we have all had chance to learn the dance before the show actually starts here. That is one plus of this We'll week. do it on next week's podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do we really want to do? We really want to taste it. All right. Okay. Any other bits of movie news? Are we? We good? We're good. We're good. We're, We're good. good. We're good. We're good. All right. So time now for our second and final guest this week, and it is Sean Baker, uh, who is a fantastic director. His last few movies include Tangerine and The Florida Project, and now Red Rocket. All movies in which he examines the sunny side, downside of the American dream. Uh, Red Rocket centers around a former male porn star who returns to his small hometown um, with chaos in his wake, and then he creates even more chaos when he is there. It is anchored by a fantastic performance by Simon Rex and Alex Godfrey was the one who chatted to Sean Baker earlier on this week. Here we go. 
Alex talking to Sean Baker. Do please enjoy. Sean Baker, director of the glorious Red Rocket. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you doing? Great, great. It's an honor to be on. It's Monday. Mo- is, is it Monday morning for you, where, wherever you are? It is. Yes, in Los Angeles. Okay, so let's talk about the Independent Spirit Awards. Last night, your lead actor, Simon Ricks, won Best Male Lead. Deservedly so. I watched it this afternoon. They put it up on YouTube. Uh, Kristen Stewart gave him his award, and he walked up to the podium looking a little dazed and <laughs> said, What the fuck? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what was that moment like for you? You looked absolutely delighted and amused and just everything. I was delighted, you know, it was, a, it was a nice way of just sort of ending this. I feel like we're at this sort of the end of the run and we're ready to make another movie. But that was a great way of like sort of wrapping it all up. And um, I'm just so proud, so happy for him. You know, he's he deserves it. I was sitting next to his mother. So, you know, that was sweet. And uh, watching her face as he was winning. And he 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 said at the end of like this nice little uh, acceptance speech. He goes, yeah, it feels like I made a glorified student film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, he pushed it a little too far with that one. <laughs> yeah. Thanks man. Yeah. Yeah. So that but, was his yeah. mother. I wondered who that was. I, yeah. I've got, I'm very curious to know what she thinks of this film. I, I think that, you know, she saw it for the first time up in Mill Valley um, where, you know, she's from the Bay Area and they had they had a screening up at the film festival there. And she uh, I think she was very proud and very happy, but also, you know, very, very um, much like, oh, well, uh, that's not my son. That's that's a character. That's not my son. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I know that she's very proud of him. Yeah. I wondered if you might be a bit hungover this morning, but you seem OK. Yeah, I, I am. I'm trying to keep it together. So <laughs> okay. right. so let, let's get into where this where this all came from. Red, Red Rocket is, I believe, your seventh feature. It is. So, so it's this incredibly unique comic drama about this hustler stroke porn star stroke asshole Mikey, <laughs> Mikey Saber who... So having had one like run in too many, in, I guess, in L.A., where he's been, it's hard to tell how successful he was as a porn star if you listen to him like extremely, but it seemed like maybe not as much as he says. But um, he's come running back home to Texas City to crash on his estranged wife's couch. And there, once he's there, he basically finds an array of people to leech off uh, eventually meeting this 17-year-old girl in a, in a donut place and right. tries sort of plotting how to get back out of Texas city and back to LA and make it in the industry. Again, it's an incredible, incredible cast of characters and performances, but it's really a tour de force by Simon Rex His unstoppable force of nature in this film. He doesn't shut up. He doesn't stop moving. He's beautiful and he's terrible. And he's just everything you could want from a character that you're going to be stuck with for a couple of hours, I think. Um, Can you tell me your experience about the sort of people he's based on and why that sort of character is why you find it to be such a driving force? Sure. Um, Well, I first of all, I agree with you with Simon. He really uh, took this, took this performance on and um, just, just really, 
excel. The, he elevated everything that we had on the page um, because he really got the character in a very short period of time. I, I had shown him interviews that I had done with gentlemen like Mikey Saber, and he didn't even have to watch many uh, much of it. He was just like, actually, I don't want to be doing an impersonation. I just want to like, I just want to understand the way of thinking. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about that. I uh, essentially, I, I, I had done research with my co-screenwriter, Chris Bragash in the adult film world back almost 10 years ago for a film I made called Starlet before yeah. It was the film I made before Tangerine mm-hmm. and, and getting just to know the mechanics of the industry about, uh, and then try, and then starting to figure out the different like the different players in that world, the different archetypes. And um, there was one archetype we came across. Um, essentially, they would have this slang term applied to them, suitcase pimp, mm-hmm. um, and they were male talent living off of female talent in that world. And so. Uh, understanding that it wasn't just one guy like this. It was actually a handful of guys that we had met and they had a similar way of thinking. They were, uh, I, I think they saw themselves like Mikey does in a very, you know, uh, sort of delusional way. Uh, again, seeing themselves as stars, um, uh, but using others without, not really from a malicious place, but more from a survival place, very unaware of the negative effects that they have on, on other people. Um, And then having this on the surface level, having this real appeal, a real charm because, you know, they're using other people, they're hustlers. So they have to come up, they have to win you over with their charm and humor. So I remember when I was actually hanging out with them and engaging with them, I was actually finding myself quite entertained and amused and, 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 and laughing along hearing some of their stories. And then I would drive home at night and think about the stories they told me and, and start to question myself. Like, well, well, why did I find that funny? That's kind of a horrible story. And somebody, and it definitely affected uh, other people's lives in a negative way. Why am I finding this funny or interesting? And so, so it was that, it was the way that I felt torn inside. I wanted to apply that to the audience. I wanted the audience to feel the same way about Mikey. Like at one moment you would be rooting for him and the next moment you would be beating yourself for beating yourself up for ever having that thought. Yeah. Um, and Simon got that. So he was able to, to give me that balance I needed with his performance where on, you know, uh, outwardly, he's this man child who you really can't blame for all the stuff he's doing. But then at the same time, you're seeing the results of what he's doing and you and you cannot in any way condone that behavior. And so so that that that's hopefully gives you an idea of where I was coming from when when fleshing this this character out. Yeah. And Simon, I mean, it's it's a big ask for someone because they really have to carry this this whole film. Most of the people in the film, most of the actors in it haven't acted before. They're people you found, as you always do, uh, in all sorts of places. Um, so Brie Elrod, who plays Lexi, uh, Mikey's wife, is, uh, is, is a renowned stage actor. Uh, yeah. Simon was in the scary movie films, but he's done all sorts of bits and pieces. Um, he wasn't someone I knew of beforehand, but it seems like you've had your eye on him for years and years and years and years. I mean, he was he was presenting MTV raps in the 90s. Uh, yes. I think that is that where you first saw him. Yes, I was. We're approximately the same age. So I remember when he broke on MTV and mm. uh, made quite a splash there. And then um yes and then over the years he just consistently entertained me i was always trying to figure out what exactly he did wrong where the where the industry where hollywood wasn't giving him you know 
meatier roles that he obviously deserved and could and I knew could you know I could see he 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 could definitely tackle successfully mm. so I just I I would just waited and then uh when Red Rocket uh came about I was like yep it's time to finally use Simon <laughs> He does it. He does it so well because he's as it's weird as a, as a character, he's a terrible human being, but as an actor, you love him. You love watching the performance, even though he's just awful. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting. Oh, I was just going to say really quick, just as an actor though, I I also have to give him props for just not being a diva and being so Mm. cool and being wonderful to work with. Uh, Number this, this film was extremely low budget shot during COVID. We didn't even know whether we were going to make it from day to day or whether we're going to get shut down. And, but he was just, he rolled with it. He was a trooper. He was driving himself to set. It's not like we had catering. We're eating a lot of pizza. I mean, like he, and he, he was, and also I was surrounding him with a lot of first timers and he was he was great with them he was so giving and so and was there to comfort them and to be there for them and and also just very patient with my you know my whole my whole process so i love the guy and i i really hope that this opens up every door he deserves (laughs) it it already is i mean already is he's i mean he was on the cover of hollywood reporter he's he's in he's in great company uh, and he is absolutely incredible. What I what I think is really interesting is that unlike, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but if memory serves, Starlet and Tangerine and Florida Project, your last three films before this, they all had central characters, right? Protagonists that you could completely get behind and root for and want the best for. Mikey Saber is not like that. Okay, you might root for him in a weird way because he's charming and he's likable, but you don't really want him to succeed or I didn't because he just he's, he's up to no good and he's not, he's not good to people. So you might be rooting for him in a perverse sort of way, but you're never really on his side. And that's what I think is really interesting is that you sort of ditch the golden rule of screenwriting here or sort of received wisdom in this day and age. Cause like, you know, this isn't someone you're supposed to really feel sympathetic towards and it doesn't matter. You pull that off. Oh, well, Thank you. It wasn't really like it was actually I wasn't going about it saying, oh, I'm going for an antihero now. I just right. you know, I've been, I think I've been actually just uh, I, I, I just tackle whatever I feel I want to see at the time. And, you know, I um, I've been very influenced over the years by films with antiheroes. I think those are the films that speak the the strongest to me because, you know, they're exploring the moral gray and they're not preaching to me. I don't need to know. I I don't need a filmmaker to tell me what's right and what's wrong. I I, I would rather explore the complexities of life. And so, so when a character is flawed and when a character isn't, you know, the perfectly sanctified, you know, (laughs) this, this saint that we're supposed to just uh, look to as like a model, I, 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 I find those movies to be a lot more interesting. And so I look back at like Mike Lee's Naked. I look back at, you know, uh, Vincent Gallo's Buffalo 66 and all mm-hmm. these classics over the years that I, I don't think that it's just like we're not uh, we're maybe we're in a place where maybe it, I'm not I'm talking U.S. film and TV. I'm not talking for the whole yeah. world. Yeah. But I'm, but I think we're in a place where we're a little bit afraid to to tackle these sort of characters, because obviously 
they are polarizing. They trigger some people. And so we are avoiding that at all costs. And I think that that's, that's kind of sad that we're in that place. You know, it's not exactly uh, opening us up to both the goods and the bads of life. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why this film is so refreshing because you're not told what to think and it does things most films don't do to be, to be honest. Um, Your films sort of, scratch away at the idea of the American dream here and there about people trying to get out of situations or get into situations or build themselves up from something into something. And you sort of do that as well. You, you know, you find these people and you give them these amazing chances and opportunities and you give them this, you bring them into this world that they haven't had before. What's it like doing that with people and building up these relationships that generally don't happen on film sets? Yeah, well, it's, um, it's something that I have now, I, I guess it's become a part of my filmmaking. So I have this casting hat on and I keep it on at all times. You know, when I, when somebody strikes me as somebody who, you know, they, they make that first impression with, you know, their physicality and then their persona. Mm. Um, and then once you get to know them, it's, it's about judging whether or not the, enthusiasm is matched by them. That's the big, that's, that's what you have to think about because if they don't, if, you know, you could find them to be the most intriguing people ever and give them a big role, but if they're not into it, they could walk away halfway through your film and you'd be really screwed. And uh, that has semi happened to me in the past. I mean, on supporting roles, thank God, but, um, but stuff where it's like, we would have to write characters out of movies because, we can't find them and cell phone numbers change and everything like that. So it's, it's definitely uh, it's a different way of filmmaking. And when it comes down to the first timers, you know, um, I've just been blessed over the years. I've been really, really blessed because not only do I find incredible first timers like Brittany Rodriguez, who plays June in the film and Ethan mm-hmm. Darbonne, who plays Lonnie. Yeah. But they come with such um they, they come with the skill of, you know, comedic improvisation, which is like a, is like a genius in my mind. And so, and so I've just been very lucky that I've, I've found people who have this incredible talent. And then um, one more thing I want to say about it is that my, my wife, Samantha Kwan, who's also one of the producers on the film, yeah. she, she's an actor herself and she coaches. And so that's been really wonderful since Florida project. She's been really helping me coach the first timers, which takes a major weight off of my shoulders because it gives them time. You know, a lot of time is required to get a first timer to, uh, to feel at ease and to, you know, and to, and to feel, you know, we have to put, we have to make them feel comfortable, obviously, and put them in a safe place to allow them to feel comfortable enough to 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 open themselves up on camera. Yeah. And so Samantha helps me out with that by doing workshops with them and getting them to that place. And then, of course, my wonderful actors who, who do have actually, you know, uh, you know, who are experienced. I've, I've dealt with I've worked with actors who aren't divas who are helped me out so much with the first timers. You know, Simon was wonderful with the first timers. He was there to comfort them and be with them. Willem Dafoe was the same way on Florida project. He, he actually found it quite, I think quite, uh, uh, inspirational to work with somebody without any sort of method, without any sort of, uh, you know, uh, these, yeah, again, these, these taught, um, ways of going about, you know, film acting. None of that is there with first timers. So it, yeah. it, it really mixes it up for the experienced ones as well. 
let me wrap up with a little bit of a bit of uh penis talk here without <laughs> without said look there's no getting around it without saying anything spoilery um yeah. this film is about a porn star and you don't shy away from i guess um showing what it is that that made him a successful porn star um right. but when you do do it it's funny um i don't want to get into what happens but it is funny every time there's nothing remotely sexual about it when it happens especially in one instance where you employ this perfectly timed crash zoom which just really made me laugh i've never seen it quite done like that before was that a sort of mission you had going into this like i'm gonna just have fun with this because it's the way that we you know approached the the sex in the film yeah it was supposed to i definitely was was going for was i was going for comedy throughout this entire thing because i Mm -hmm. found you know uh i i i find uh a delight in in behavioral comedy you know interactions and and so um you know i'm just starting to lean into that heavier with all my films but um but mm-hmm. it, but also on top of that, uh, you know, um, I was very much inspired by the Italian genre films of the early seventies. That you know, uh, a lot of these Italian sex comedies and the way they would approach the subject matter and, mm. and sort of employing their craft. So you mentioned, you know, you mentioned this crash zooms. Well, you know, if you look at a lot of these 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 genre films of the early 70s they employ these sort of you know camera moves and 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 mm. and the way that, you know we 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 cover certain scenes um and so a lot of that comes from that as well sort of a wink towards you know to the to the to those films that okay. also you know tackled these lolita-esque stories well thank you very much it's a good way to end um okay. <laughs> appreciate it all and congrats on such an incredible film i love it to pieces and so i you know um have fun with the rest of it and i can't wait to see the next one. Oh, thanks so much man thank you all right have a good one bye-bye okay so that was sean baker and that started off the reviews section of the show in which we tell you what to watch this week and the multiplex and silverplex with red rocket the latest sean baker film uh hannah Tell us about this one, please. Yeah. Okay. So this is a follow-up to his 2017 film, The Florida Project, which is, I suppose, a coming-of-age story. And I would say that this one might be more of a decline of man story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's set in Texas. And I think anyone who's aware of Sean Baker's kind of style is that he obviously casts like actors with non-actors and it's kind of you really get that proper small town feel feel when you see Mikey Saber played by Simon Rex returning home after some misadventures in LA causes him to be down and out and relying on his ex-wife and her mother uh, Mm. for a place to stay for a safe haven and then obviously he's like there trying to build it up trying to get his money he's hustling about and he stops by a donut store and meets the young strawberry, a uh, 17-year-old who falls for his charms while we maybe do not as we're watching. I don't know about you guys, but like I think what I quite enjoyed was that he's very like he's got this fast-talking, self-absorbed kind of mentality, and it's delivered with such like obnoxious cadence that there's never a second where you're like, Oh, I'm rooting for this guy. <laughs> I kind of yeah. want him to succeed. Um, yeah. and so you know, I think one of the things I've always been interested about what was coming off the conversation where it's been seen in the US is like this is an age gap relationship and there's an interesting kind of comparison with maybe licorice pizza which obviously you know 
there's that awkward uncomfortableness. But I think again, because this film doesn't quite um doesn't romanticize it, you kind of get away with that age gap where you don't actually feel that you don't feel that it's sh- she's been exploited that much because actually she's quite self-assured and he's not trying to show this as a desirable kind of relationship to kind of mm-hmm. end with. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, I think it was really I think it getting Simon Rex as someone who uh who has a very interesting colorful history in hollywood himself he did porn <laughs> when he first started out he was a model then mtv vj then he did a lot of those like super like the parody films i think he did like scary movie and like uh, what was it is it superhero there was a superhero one basically he's, all yeah this, he's in three scary movie films yeah yeah and he does like the superhero parody movie i think he played the human torch in it um so it's quite interesting that he kind of brings all that backstory to it I'm kind of surprised. It was kind of a really great performance coming out with someone that I had not known. I actually thought he was a non, like the stuff I'd known about him, I thought he was this MTV presenter. So I was like, oh, yeah. right, this guy's pretty good. Did you guys realize he had this like whole history? I, I knew I knew very little about him, to be honest. I couldn't remember him in the scary movies. And then once I read up, read up on him after I saw the film, I was like, oh, yes, that guy. That guy, yes, now I get it. Uh, I thought he was absolutely terrific in this, to be honest. And uh, you know, I'm looking at the the five names who've been nominated for the best uh, actor award this year's Oscars, and yeah, it's just hard to argue with pretty much any of them. Maybe, maybe Javier Bardem for being the Ricardos. You could you could lose him and put in <laughs> Simon Rex. I thought it would be really interesting because it's been a long time since I've seen a performance just completely and utterly transfix you like this that you 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 i could not take my eyes off him he is an awful awful (laughs) awful individual and yet he has this compelling power about him that that basically means he can wrap people around his little finger uh for the most part in, in this movie he uses la as some sort of inducement to people he just mentions la and they're so immediately seduced by the possibility of what la means and what it could mean for them that they will basically just agree to anything this guy wants to do he's a he's a terrible terrible human being who does the the barest minimum possible to inveigle his way into relationships and then he's and then he uses his his wiles to to get what he wants essentially he's manipulative and he's seductive but in a terrible way he's very very toxic and yet i don't think you can take your eyes off him uh he's tremendous mm. he's absolutely tremendous and uh, the film i thought was terrific uh it's it's tawdry at times it's very very dark but very darkly funny i watched it the other day on the screen and i wasn't sure if i was allowed to laugh but i remember a couple of times i was laughing at at things that uh that uh, that mikey saber would do and I found, oh shit, I'm the only person laughing here. I might just rein this in a little bit because laughter does not mean I condone what's happening on screen, folks. It just means I find the situation quite darkly comedic. But yeah, I think this is absolutely up there with with Tangerine and with mm. the Florida Project. And Sean Baker's an incredible director. I read afterwards that a couple of the actors who are in major roles in this were people he literally just discovered. Like he was driving down the street when he drove past the woman who plays essentially. Mikey's mother-in-law. Who sadly passed recently, I Oh, believe. did she? I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, man. And he pulled over and he was just like, you, would you like to audition for a movie? You've got this great look. And lo and behold, he can get these incredible performances out of these yeah. non-actors. It's so good. Well, funnily enough, I interviewed Susanna Son, who plays Strawberry for Empire. Mm. There you go. And uh, she was saying how, like, how she got cast 
And it was, she was at the Arclight Theatre on a bad day. <laughs> and then her, Sean and his and his wife were there was like, hey, do you like to act? And I mean, she was wanting to be an actor, but like, he's got that eye for it. And I suppose like you guys, did you, I think what makes it work with, with the actors is, and his ability to not kind of belittle or look down. He never yep. looks down on the people no. in these small towns. But I think that's why Mikey coming in, everyone around him is just a bit like, mate. <laughs> I don't think yeah. especially kind of some of the, you know, sporting characters who I kind of don't want to describe too much because I don't want to give out the rep of course, away. Yeah. But one of his employers and their family, they kind of look at their very cynical towards him. And I wonder if you thought like that kind of kept it grounded, even though he was this yeah. outlandish individual. Yeah, there's enough judgment of Mikey Sabre from the other characters, uh, especially the ones who, who really know him. So his wife knows he's a he he's a piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> but of course, what, what's interesting is the way that he manages to worm his way back into her affections again, using the thing he's best at in the world to do so. Uh, you also have those other characters you mentioned who also know that he's someone not to be trusted and they don't particularly like him. But you have other characters like Strawberry and his next door neighbor as well who just who just look at this guy and they see the closest thing to royalty that they've ever seen. And they have st- stars, you know, just obscuring their vision. Uh, so they can't really see him for what he is. Uh, I thought that was really great. But I also think it's really interesting, as you say, that Sean Baker doesn't, he doesn't, there's no judgment in these movies. These are very interesting and sober portraits of of small town America and Americans down on their luck. I thought it was absolutely terrific. I, we gave it five stars. Uh, I I think I'd be on board with that. What about you, Hannah? Yeah, maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I think I give, I, I would shave not, a star off. Shave a shave a star off. I mean, it does get a star just for having a repeated use of an NSYNC song. So I would very much uh, appreciate that from the very beginning. No, nah, um, I'm four town all the way. Do you think, uh, do you think they, um, do you think they kind of like said, right, we can afford one song and now we're going to use it several times in this movie to get a little bang for our buck. <laughs> so I read that they couldn't afford the song. They couldn't afford the song, which is which is wild because there's literally a bit where it's incorporated into the movie. And so they had to get all five members of NSYNC to sign off on it in order for them to use the song. Oh, I like it. it. They give them back. Which is wild. Yeah, they are. They are. Just like the Spice Girls. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, we gave this one five stars. Five stars then for Red Rocket. Let's stay red, shall we? And talk about Turning Red. It's a new Pixar movie, but like the last couple of Pixar movies, Soul and Luca, it has been shunted unceremoniously to Disney+. Which is a real shame, Ben, because this one belongs in the big screen, I would say. Yes, when Ben Hearned it was going to Disney Plus, he himself turned into a giant red panda. So yes, <laughs> and I destroyed most of South London in the process. I apologise. Um, uh, yeah, this is an absolute delight. This is uh, the feature directorial debut of Dome Shi, who made that incredible short, uh, Oscar-winning short, Bow, a couple of years ago. Uh, so this is her sort of first fully-fledged Pixar feature, and it's set in. Toronto in 2002, which I believe is, well, is where she is from. And this is sort of loosely based on or around her own uh, childhood and her adolescent experience. Uh, so the central character here is Mei Lin, played by or voiced by Rosalie Chang, who she's this really confident kind of uh, energetic, entertaining 13-year-old kid who has life figured out. She has friends. She has uh, a flute that she loves to play. She loves the band Four Town. Everything is great. And then her 13th birthday hits and uh, she starts going through some changes and there are bodily changes. There are spiritual, physical changes uh, going on in her life. Uh, So 
she starts transforming into a giant fluffy red panda whenever she feels overwhelmed, whether that's feelings of overwhelming joy and excitement or feelings of anger and terror. So, I mean, isn't adolescence all of those things all the time? <laughs> this is a, a pretty precarious situation. Uh, and uh, her mum, Ming, is voiced by Sandra Oh. Her dad is voiced by Orion Lee. Uh, and yeah, so this is resolutely a coming of age story. And for me, it really breaks the Pixar mold in some really significant ways. So obviously I'm a big fan of Pixar. I think we, we all are and we love their boundless creativity and inventiveness. But at the same time, you look at pretty much any Pixar movie and it is a buddy movie that often kind of descends into a, a, a an adventure plot to chase something down or to achieve uh, so yeah some kind of like adventure MacGuffin sort of plot and this mm, is not a that quest of some kind at all yeah there is no quest yeah. so it feels kind of unlike any other Pixar film but it looks and sounds unlike any other Pixar film as well it has as with Luca where you got this kind of very different style of character model a different kind of look and feel the, the way that the background are constructed the sort of palette that it's dealing with the whole film feels like it's in a really beautiful way filtered through teenage girldom it is like very unashamedly pastel pink and boy bands and you feel like you're watching the film through Malin's head through her obsessions through her friendships through her life um so you have these kind of flourishes of like almost anime style moments where you've got like mm. speed lines, you have um, moments that it goes all in on the like the boy band stuff in a way that you've never seen in a Pixar movie. At the same time, you have a score by Ludwig Göransson, which I spent the whole time watching this the first time like, wow, this music is amazing. It's kind of got these great like, f- like traditional, like Chinese inspired flute arrangements. And then at the same time, underneath it all is this like sort of synthy stuff. <laughs> I was like, oh, this, this sounds great. And then Ludwig's name comes up at the end and you're like, of course, that is pure Ludwig through and through. Um, and then the the boy band music in it, the four town songs, are written by Billie Eilish and Phineas. And they are just having an absolute blast getting to channel their kind of NSYNC Backstreet Boys uh, nostalgia into some extremely catchy songs. I feel like you need to throw in O-Town there because O-Town was exactly this period. Right. I feel like they basically called me that name from it. Do you remember the song Liquid Dreams? Who can forget? Who can forget that classic? <laughs> as as a thirty, as a as a, a, t- a girl who was once a thirteen year old in two thousand and two, this is why I felt very seen by this. Who song. the fuck were O Town? Oh my god, O Town! They were on the MTV series Making the Band. Do you remember it? Or maybe were you that period? I know no. they had. A, I gotta I gotta find a girl who's a Mr. Destiny's child. Just a little touch of Madonna's wild side with Janet Jackson smile. With a body like Jennifer. Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> you wow. are the star of my liquid dreams, which really is fitting song choice for this podcast, considering how much we've talked about wanking. <laughs> liquid, liquid dreams. dreams. Yes, I, yeah. Yeah, I get that. I get did, that. They, did they wank by a bone or was it, was it just me? Subconscious by a bone. Yeah, subconscious by a bone. All right. <laughs> O-Town. This film, I think it has that typical Pixar thing of on the one hand, it's it's premise is very instinctual and intuitive and at the same time wildly inventive it is eighth grade meets the incredible hulk with a smattering of scott pilgrim in there in the way that it kind of explores uh emotions through pop culture and through like anime style fight scenes i don't want to get into the the final act stuff but like where it goes in that final reel it has some big funny exciting action-packed stuff and also some really 
beautiful, contemplative, quiet moments. It gives you the best of both of those things. Um, I, I absolutely loved it. I had a, an incredible time with it. I, I, I nearly, I so nearly went five stars on this. And the only reason I didn't is that I think the middle act is kind of in, in three quite distinctive acts. And the middle act for me, the pacing very slightly dipped. The final act brings that back in such a huge way. I've got shit for going five on a Pixar film before. You really and, do. <laughs> which, I, let me... I, I know. I let's found not bring the this tweet. Up. Let's not bring this up. No, let's bring this up because if you're going to keep bashing me for giving Onward five stars, which I still stand by, I love that film and I think it's massively underrated. I found the tweet the other day of James having just come out of that screening saying, oh, I normally argue with Ben about his unassailable positivity, but I've just seen Onward and I wholeheartedly agree with every single word of his no review. recollection of writing that tweet. It's All I can on say, the internet. I must. It must be true. All I can say was almost certainly hopped up on pick and mix, and was just delirious. But you know, Jesus uh, I, no, I, I wouldn't give this five, but I do think it's a solid four. It's great. It is really great. I think it's a really fun story. It's beautifully told. It gives you a real sense of the period, and uh, and it really brings the feels like in the final act, and it's lovely. And just seeing the portrayal of the friendships in it, I think it's beautifully done. I loved her friends in this. Um, there was everything about this I really enjoyed, except for the fact that, and I don't, you know. Obviously, TV is very much my thing, but I really wanted to see this in the cinema. I really wanted to see this in the cinema. And I think it made me a little bit sad that I, I've had some mixed reactions to some of Pixar's recent work, but like they do some great stuff. And, you know, regardless, we I want the opportunity to be able to see it on the big screen. Sure, if you want to be able to see it, you know, in your home, fine. But show me it on the screen. Show me it on a big, big, big screen. And also, wasn't what was the other Asian? Was it Ryan Last Dragon? Wasn't that yep. also put on... That was Disney Plus as well. Disney yeah. Plus. Mm-hmm. And you yep. have to kind of wonder, like, why are we not putting these very specific cultural, culturally rich stories on this big screen for people to enjoy? When you look at what Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi did, you know, clearly there's an appetite for, like, very specific things that have a universal message. And it is quite sad. I mean, for me, as I said, like... I, this is me on screen. I am May. I had like the tattoo necklaces. <laughs> like I, I even got a picture of me. And May was a bit younger, but I had that bob. I was that kid girl. You killed that Tamagotchi. I. I actually was allowed a Tamagotchi. I was allowed that. Um, my mom did not let me have a Tamagotchi. You weren't but responsible enough. I was not responsible enough. But like, I had a very kind of impressive mother who had a certain way of doing things and kind of trying to live up to and trying to be the good girl you know, feeling a bit like an outsider, you know, having the glasses, you know, being different as, again, being like an ethnic minority, like in a kind of very white school, like you feel those things and and you have this kind of anxiety that builds up and rage. And I know a lot of people talking about this film as like the period movie. But for me, like, I feel like the panda is that kind of emotional thing that we go, I relate to that feeling of getting very upset about things and not being able to articulate that. And because I don't, it manifests in these like, I, I kind of explode in other ways that aren't even somewhat related. So, and I just thought that was really love, lovingly handled. Yeah, I thought it was beautiful. I mean, I kind of, and all the girlfriend stuff and the parties. <laughs> and, oh, God. Yeah. I like the fact that also it's a Disney movie that's basically about sexual awakening as well. Like the yeah. whole thing is that she's getting these feelings about this guy who works in the convenience store. And all of it is like she's a, a sea of raging hormones. Mm. And yes, it's expressed in her love for the boy band. But, you know, they deal with that and how that affects like an adolescent mind. Like puberty is something we've all been through some Ben more recently than others but you know 
Uh, you know, it's, it's, I think oh, it's ben. lovely that they're dealing with that. Well, look, Ben's 17, it's fine. <laughs> this is the thing, though. That is what is genius about the panda metaphor in this, is that on the one hand, you do have that absolute specificity, as Hannah is saying, of this is a period movie. It is about being a an adolescent girl and everything that means. And the way that they directly confront that in a Pixar movie, let alone a mainstream um, American Hollywood film, like that is just a subject that mm. is so untouched by so, so many films. So the fact that they deal with that in such a head-on way in this feels really significant. But at the same time, it's not just that. It is about partly about May embracing her cultural heritage. It is about going from being a kid, your mum's kid, to being your own person and your friend's friend. It's about that teenage rebellion as well. There are all these different things that, that one of the phrases they they kind of keep using is either uh, control the panda or release the panda. And th- what the panda is, is so many things. It, it can be read and felt in so many ways, but it doesn't feel wishy-washy. It doesn't feel like, oh, they just haven't decided what the panda is. It's just the it doesn't just mean one thing and it expresses so many things of what it means to go through adolescence, to to go through that experience and all those different feelings and those different factors that make it such a confusing, overwhelming and often really joyous time as well. And it gets all of that stuff dead on. I thought it was absolutely terrific. Uh, I thought Ben was being miserable and giving this four stars. I'd have gone the extra five. Would you have gone five? Interesting. Yeah, I I thought it was great. Cannot wait to see it again this weekend with my wife. My wife! Uh, four stars then for Turning Red. Nice topical Borat reference there. And <laughs> last is The Adam Project, uh, Jimbo. So this is Sean Levy and Ryan Reynolds back together again, which should fill everyone's hearts with dread after Free Guy. However, <laughs> however, and look, so here's the thing with Ryan Reynolds. Like Ryan Reynolds is very good and he's also very funny, but I find him, and I don't think I'm alone, quite grating i think he's quite a marmite character and i think look he's made some bad choices red notice six underground he's done some stinkers but the shtick that he kind of rolls out while it fits deadpool very well sometimes i just find it very very wearing so i kind of went into this with a little bit of like oh fuck here we go and weirdly this is the first time i've been like oh actually he is really quite charming and there's soul beneath it. And I don't know whether it's because the subject matter of this, obviously he lost his father in 2020. So I think this script sort of resonated with him. I should probably talk about the plot. So that makes a little bit yes, of sense. But he plays help, yes. Adam Reed and he's a pilot from the future who comes back in time to the year 2022, where he finds his younger self, uh, his 12 year old self played by Walker Scobell. Uh, and they together have to go back further in time to kind of put what, right what once went wrong, et cetera, et cetera, in a Sam Beckett sort of style. But as I say, this is all about loss. Like, he's a guy whose father died when he was quite young and this is a pain that's kind of set with him as an adult but as he plays this character beneath the snark and the kind of quips and whatnot you can feel the hurt like it does feel like it's a front to deal with this kind of fractured emotional state that he's been carrying with him since a child and you know like i say because it sort of draws on some real experience i believed every second of it and i found it super charming but while i liked him a lot in this i liked walker scobell so much more because that kid is fucking unbelievable so he's by all accounts, a massive Deadpool fan, which is possibly a little bit irresponsible given his age, but he 
does Ryan Reynolds to a fucking T. Like every mannerism, every snark, every quip. And he's got some great lines in it. This is co-written by Jonathan Dropper, uh, who writes, uh, who wrote Banshee Warrior, two of my favorite shows, and obviously works on, on C on Apple at the moment. Um, but uh, but I really loved the screenplay. I really loved his delivery of those lines. I think the two of them as a kind of like a, as a double act just work brilliantly. Uh, you also have Zoe Saldana in this. You have Catherine Keener in this. Catherine Keener is, I think, the weak link in this whole film. She's a very, very, very one-dimensional villain. Uh, mm. And I think that's ultimately where this falls down. Like, it's a time travelly plot. It's got uh, a little hint. It's got an Amblin-esque feel. It has, it's a bit E.T. It's a bit Last Starfighter. It's a bit Back to the Future. It's all of that stuff together. Uh, and it does feel like those films from our youth. But the plot doesn't hold water very well. And, the, the, I mean, some of the, like, the, the reason for him taking his kid back, which is to do with DNA, makes fucking no sense at all. But you kind of go with it because... Beneath all of that, it's just quite charming. And I, humorless twat that I am, laughed a number of times during this. I was kind of smiling all the way through and kind of tittering here and there. And yeah, I had a really good time with it. I genuinely, genuinely enjoyed this. And I think, I mean, we gave it three. I'd probably still give it three, if only because I think the plot doesn't really hold up brilliantly. But in terms of having a good time, it gives you the warm and fuzzies. I, I, I had a great time with it. I, it's on obviously on Netflix and, uh, and I recommend it. I preferred it to Free Guy, for sure. I mean, that's a low bar, isn't it? I know. But I know a lot of people liked it, though. I feel like I was in the minority, but now I've obviously found my people. This you found is a safe your space. people. Yeah. <laughs> this is an anti-Free Guy yeah. space. Uh, yeah, I loved it. I, I am a massive sucker for any sort of dad stories. Uh, I won't go into my personal history on why that's significant. But like, it, it, and it, it, I find that moving. And when you've got an, an emotional backbone like that, mm it manages to hold everything together even if, as you said, James, like it doesn't kind of, it falls apart a little bit when you look too close at the scenes, you know? Um, but you're right. I think I, I, I've actually really, I like Ryan Reynolds. I liked him when he did like Definitely Maybe. I like his rom-com mm. guy and I feel mm. like we got a bit more of that kind of charm. Heart. It's in, like a little heart. bit of vulnerability. Yeah, exactly. And there are some scenes where you actually kind of, you see him act. <laughs> it's like, oh, he can he can act under all the bravado and all that yeah, type of yeah, stuff. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I will say about uh, the kid, there is something about kids acting, giving lines that no kid that age would ever <laughs> give. But I, I'll accept it for the sake of this. I thought, it was, I thought it was fun. I like the fact that it looked, you know, I know we talk a lot about like these kind of sci-fi films looking like it's on a soundstage. And yeah, it's a bit of a nondescript location of things. But there's a really nice scenic wooden, like in the woods scene that I kind of enjoyed. I was like, oh, is this Twilight? I love it. <laughs> Did they film in the same place? Um, I, I will say, I think, you know, uh, yeah, they have Jennifer Garner. I mean, Catherine Keener, again, one one note character, but like Jennifer Garner and Zoe Saldana, criminally underused. You kind uh -huh. of wonder what's the point of Zoe Saldana in this other than showing that, oh, yeah, she's still got her Gamora got like fight moves and there's a really good, I think a very well executed fight sequence that they do. But yeah, I, I, I kind of, I had fun with it. And again, I mean, maybe it's not, the best film that we've talked about today, but certainly given what Ryan Reynolds has delivered on Netflix, I think it's the best thing that he's done specifically for yeah. uh, the streaming service. So you go, folks, better than Red Notice and better than Six Underground. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's got the Mark Ruffalo, Jennifer Garner uh, reunion I mean, that 13 Going On 30 fans have been waiting for. So, I mean, yeah. watch Not it enough, though. I feel like I've been, again, stunt casting, <laughs> did not deliver on what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> 
I would I would agree with that. And I had a good time with it. I did have a good time with it. I think Sean Levy is a, is a director who knows what he's doing, but the you know, the material has to be of a good enough caliber. I think it was lacking in, in Free Guy. Uh, again, weirdly, we do seem to be in the minority on, on that. But uh, I think this is more of a, a return to form for him. And you're right about Ryan Reynolds. I think Ryan Reynolds is, is, is an amazing actor and and personality uh, genuinely one of the funniest people I've ever met and it, you know, he's one of those guys if he wanted to be a stand-up he would be one of the world's top five stand-ups if he wanted to be he's one of the most naturally funny people I've ever met I think since Deadpool made him a huge 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 star as opposed to a huge star yeah. I think he perhaps has taken the easier path mm. in terms of some of his projects and where he's not so much playing characters as playing thinly failed versions of Ryan Reynolds. He's basically playing walking quip machines and quip mm. dispensers. And that's all fine as things go, but taken in, a, in a, a long stretch, taken over a long period of time, it can get pretty thin pretty yeah. quickly. And so I'm very, very glad that even though he is playing someone here who does throw out one-liners, you can see more clearly than I think you can with any of the other characters since Deadpool that is very much not just a defense mechanism, but an attack mechanism for him as well, that he's masking something real and human and some actual pain underneath all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Viola Davis often says about being an actor is about being scared, like being scared mm-hmm. and being willing to fail. And I think Ryan Reynolds hasn't, maybe this one, he's kind of, gone to a deeper place that actually he's been vulnerable in a way. And I just wish he as an actor would take more chances and be scared of yeah. the roles that he picks because he's not challenging himself. And this is where he just becomes quite mundane. Um, and then you just get yourself boxed into that same type of role. And it's kind of sad when there's clearly talent there and he deserves to be recognized for that more than just being like the go-to funny guy. Before Deadpool really properly put him over the top, if you look at the movies he was making, he was making Mississippi Grind. He was making The Voices. He was making these strange, weird, esoteric indie movies, the Buried's of this world, yeah, alongside some film. of the action movies. Yeah, but yeah, and, and honestly, I, I I bang on about Mississippi Grind uh, every chance I can get. If you haven't seen Mississippi Grind, it's a phenomenal film. Uh, check it out. Possibly his best performance in Ben Mendelsohn is great. And yes, it's Deadpool teaming up with Talos, but uh, but <laughs> we, are, we are where we are in terms of that, aren't we? Uh, uh, but since Deadpool, I just think it has been, you know, he's been obviously growing his brand and he's been become a bit of a mogul. He owns a mobile <laughs> company in the States called Mint Mobile. He's got his drink on the go. He and, owns Wrexham FC. Wrexham FC. <laughs> yeah. He's bought a fucking football club for God's sake. Not Chelsea. They're no longer available for sale uh, mm. as of recording this podcast. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's clearly been a concerted effort from him to you know become this sort of mogul over the last few years. Hopefully, the Adam Project means that he can reconnect with. Ryan Reynolds, the actor, if that doesn't sound yeah. too He needs to diversify wanky. his roles as much as he's diversifying his portfolios. Yeah, motherfuckers, absolutely. <laughs> so there we go. Three stars for The Adam Project. And on that note, that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Uh, it's been a ton of fun. Hannah, how have you found your first Empire? It was not in studio, so you haven't really had the full experience of being in a room with James and, and watching James just get his phone out and start Googling stuff whenever we're talking but about things could, he's yeah, got I mean, no interest in. You can see in. me doing it slightly off camera here. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, the imposter yeah. syndrome in me is thinking, is he Googling things to correct me? 
Especially when we talk about Dune, it was like shit. It would I be in character, <laughs> absolutely, but no, I wasn't. No, I love it. I've got a massive boner, so there we go. A massive lady boner for, for Hannah Flint. Uh, all it's an good. Obi boner, actually. It's, it's, it's a bio bone. The old bio bone <laughs> is, is a throbbing. Uh, anyway, on that note. <laughs> Babble and throbbing. <laughs> On that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by... I have no idea. I wrote it down. I can't remember who's on next week's show, but I promise you it will be someone human. That's as good as I can promise, folks. It'll be someone. That's all I know. I'm off to figure out who it is. But uh, until then, until that auspicious occasion, until we meet again, it is goodbye from Squadcast Names. <laughs> Token Minority Report. Hannah Flint. Here I am. Ready to, <laughs> ready to, I'm a two for, two for one. <laughs> it is goodbye from Red Panda Pop, Benjamin Travis. Does anyone remember there was the strawberry jelly and ice cream flavor Panda Pop that probably was a pure abomination, but as a kid, I absolutely loved it. It was bright red and tasted of sugar. And is that what stunted your growth? Uh, pretty much, probably. Yeah, that is what has resulted <laughs> in so everything sorry, you see before you. Wow. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, wow. I'm supposed to be the murderer around here. <laughs> Jesus. <There's> better murder. <laughs> Jesus wept. Absolutely fucking bodied. Thing is, um, between James and Ben, there could be any possibilities you might want to murder me. <laughs> well, you, you got, you got, it's a growing I'm list of suspects. I'm more like Thanos. I operate on a large scale. I don't really do personalised individual stuff. No, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do house calls. You'll, 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 you'll be fine. Uh, speaking of Jimbo, bye Ben, by the way. Bye. bye. Um, your, your tea's ready. <laughs> come, on, come in, son. Come yes, in. Chippy tea. Uh, <laughs> chippy tea, lovely chippy. Oh, I wouldn't mind a chippy tea. Uh, it is goodbye from p p p picked up penguin, James Dyer. Goodbye, Christopher. Inspired by Hannah, I am now on a one-way trip to O Town. <laughs> is that an orgasm? Yes, yes, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> yeah. so, bro, I was gonna, what's your anagram again? I've forgotten it, but that I'm going to do that. <laughs> he wank biobone. That's it. Yeah, that's definitely like a cover line from Cosmo in the like early two thousands. One-way ticket to O Town, the big O. <laughs> This has got to be the horniest episode of the Empire Podcast <laughs> by some... This makes me so proud. That was my one mission. Like, one was like, oh God, Hannah, are you going to bring your holy? I was like, you goddamn right I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm bringing my A game. Yes. <laughs> and now James is bringing his O game, so That's everyone's, everyone's equal. Uh, and it's goodbye from me, turning red rocket. Uh, I'm off to squeeze into something deeply uncomfortable and audition to play Robin. Baby oil at the ready things could get dark pretty quickly. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye.